It's a down-and-out, to-recovery kind of story as we see this woman who faces bankruptcy and the threat of her two sons being taken as bondmen into a form of slave-like conditions for a time. Now, in the home, the cupboards are bare, and they tell the whole story of the abject poverty. There is nothing less to, to feast on. There is nothing left to sustain life, and there's nothing left to sell to cover the debts, except for one thing, the jar of oil. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. Thank you for joining with us. This is Ian Golliher, and today we go right to our message on Satisfied in Jesus from the pulpit ministry of our church here at the Free Presbyterian Church. We invite you to stay tuned with us as we preach this wonderful truth that Jesus, all his grace, all his sufficiency, satisfies the believer in the Lord Jesus. We'll close today with a thought on righteousness exalteth a nation, and I want to speak on why I hate alcohol, that which is killing thousands of Canadians each year. It is the chief number one intoxicator killing and destroying many in our nation. And I just want to bring you a few thoughts on that today and through the week. We are ministering God's Word today from Second Kings chapter 4 on Satisfied in Jesus. And I pray that your heart will be blessed today through the Lord's Word. Back to Second Kings chapter 4 and these seven verses. Packed into these seven verses is one of the greatest and fullest stories of the Old Testament. It's a down-and-out, to-recovery kind of story as we see this woman who faces bankruptcy and the threat of her two sons being taken as bondmen into a form of slave-like conditions for a time. Now, in the home, the cupboards are bare, and they tell the whole story of the abject poverty. There is nothing less to, to feast on. There is nothing left to sustain life, and there's nothing left to sell to cover the debts, except for one thing, the jar of oil. We're not told what kind of oil it is, most likely domestic cooking oil, olive oil, which may well have been frequently used, but it was the very last remaining item, but nothing to use the oil with. Imagine having cooking oil and nothing to cook with. And so they have come to the very end of their existence in that home with any comfort. Now, the account of multiplying of the oil into the pots, um, this is very well detailed for us. 
Elisha told this woman to get all the pots that she could muster. She was to beg and borrow, and from her neighbors and in her vicinity, to gather in as many pots as she could muster. And there she was told to begin pouring the oil. And so the miracle began. She took that one pot of oil that was in the home, and as the boys rolled in those pots, and perhaps they were even bigger than the original pot that was left, and she started pouring. And lo and behold, the first one filled to the brim. Another pot, and they roll it into position, and it keeps pouring. And another pot, and it keeps pouring until it's full, until one after the other, until the widow mother says, fetch another pot. And the boy say, but there is no more. And at that point, we are told the oil stayed. And what she had now was a plentiful supply of oil in all these various pots. This was Elisha's way of helping. He used the very thing that was in the widow's home and multiplied it to become a wonderful blessing and supply to pay off all her debts and to live with her children in some relative comfort. Now, you'll notice that this Old Testament story of the pot, that it's very like the miracle of the Lord Jesus when he turned a boy's lunch into a feast for 5,000. He took what was there. What have you? And they found a boy with a lunch with five loaves and two fishes. And the Lord took what was there, multiplied it, and made it into a blessing. I see the parallel between the way Elisha worked as an Old Testament prophet in this instance, and the way that the Lord Jesus worked. Elisha asked this woman, what shall I do for thee? The way he worded the question is very akin to what the Lord Jesus did over and over in his miraculous ministry. One day there was a blind man who sat along the road, and he cried out, David, uh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. They tried to hush him. They tried to get rid of him. He was a bit of a nuisance. But when the Lord heard him cry, he said, bring him to me. And the very words Jesus asked were these, what shall I do for thee? And you know the story, how he said that I might have my sight. And of course, he received it. Now, Jesus said, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. This oil is certainly a type of the ministry of the Lord Jesus and of the Holy Spirit and its supply. This miracle of pouring out the oil speaks of the supply of the Lord's Spirit in the heart of the believer. 
And so all things in this miracle, directed by Elisha, they point to the ministry of our Lord Jesus. And what we need to know from this miracle of the multiplying and the pouring of the oil is the sufficiency of our Lord's spirit and power to supply the needs of our hearts and our lives. There is one big lesson in this event and in this miracle. Out of the life of Christ and his gospel flows every supply, every need to your heart and to mine. If we're living the Christian life to the full, there will be no emptiness. If we are living in the victory that Christ purchased for us at the cross, and if we are living in the Spirit who is now the rightful indweller of these bodies as tabernacles, we will not be walking in the flesh. We will not be living in the scum and the worldliness of this world but rather we will be living lives of grace and blessing. And I want to encourage you tonight to not rest with a mediocre Christianity. Do not rest for the average and say, well, I'm saved, I know I'm going to heaven, and I just need to just saunter along. My, that's just what the devil would want. A Christian that has enough grace to get to heaven— but is leaving no testimony for God, no influence upon a world that needs the light of the Lord Jesus. And so the doctrine here uh, really is that the Lord Jesus is the all-sufficient Redeemer of his people. Now, to establish that, because you see what I'm doing, don't you? I'm taking an Old Testament extraordinary event. I'm interpreting it out of its own historical setting. I'm lifting it right into a picture of what our Lord Jesus is to his church, his people. And I'm saying to you tonight that if you live looking unto Jesus, you will know something, and I trust much, of the supply that is in the Lord Jesus. Now, there's a great New Testament text upon which I can build this, and it's Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That means through him. And it is by our union, our fellowship, our prayer lives, our faith in the Lord Jesus that God promises here in Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. Now, all of that is illustrated for us right here in this event of the widow woman pouring the oil, filling the pots, and thereby living from it. I want to get to three simple major truths on this. The bankruptcy of the law cannot help. And I'm going to explain that one, because there's a legal problem here. This woman's in debt. 
This woman is so much in debt that she's in danger of losing her children to be sold off, indentured until whatever jubilee day that they might again be set free from their bondage. That was a legal matter. Then we see, secondly, the sufficiency of supply that is in Christ. And then thirdly, the deficiency of our supplications, our praying. And we'll talk about why the oil stopped and stayed. And I think if we cover those things, we will get the best out of this portion of God's Word. So, you have bankruptcy, sufficiency, and then the third one is deficiency of our asking. Now, this widow woman, back to the bankruptcy, she was a widow. Her husband had been one of the sons of the prophets. He was into theology. He had been what we would call Bible school or seminary, the sons of the prophets. He had served the Lord all his days, and most likely did not have a big income. It always seems that preachers are always on the end of the payment scale. And it's probably a good thing that it is that way. Those preachers that are in the top of the pay scale don't seem to preach very well. They don't seem to really bring the goods that they need to bring. And there probably is a law of proportion here that the more you pay the preacher, the poorer he'll preach. The less you pay him, the better that he will preach. And that seems to be the way with these sons of the prophets. And here he is, and he uh, serves God all these days. He has a young wife and two young sons. They are referred to as children. And he dies. A tragedy. Something we would have great difficulty comprehending. Why would some young man who is actively serving God, seeking to do God's will among the sons of the prophets, why would he be taken off the scene to leave his wife to struggle with such uh, difficulties raising children alone? Strange is the providence of God. And just as the news that we're grappling with of that young 15-year-old girl similarly, these are things that we as Christians have to trust and leave with God. So her husband was gone, and her income was gone, whatever it was. And she was left with empty cupboards, uh, an empty home, and the creditors, the lenders, knocking at the door, seeking to take the last away. There is a Jewish tradition, and I don't put a whole lot of weight on it, there's a Jewish tradition that this young woman came from a rich family, that she was used to the good things of life. And this would therefore have been a double hardship to her and would have caused her to feel the pain of her want and her penury all the more. But what is the greatest difficulty for her is that the law was against her. Because the law of Israel is that when you're in debt, you or your children may be sold in lieu of payment. 
And the law was now knocking at the door, and there was nothing she could do. And when she was trying to find a way out to use the law in Israel, it was totally against her. And she found no hope, no comfort, only bankruptcy in the law of Israel. We're told here that she hadn't another thing to sell, and in verse 1, the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And so sadly, the game was up. The days of hope were over, and she was in desperate, desperate straits. But the law made her bankrupt. And that's where men are at in the world tonight. Before we became Christians, we were bankrupt in sin, and the law could only speak against us, not for us. Because when you end up bankrupt under God, a sinner breaking the law, owing a penalty that you cannot pay, the law can only condemn the law can never save. And that's the dreadful situation that men and women are in in this world tonight. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That's the payment. That's the guilt and the indebtedness. Also in Romans, it says, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Then it goes on to talk about God sending his Son but the law is weak. The law is powerless. And there are multitudes of people tonight, they're trying to get right with God by the law, by legal works, by trying to do better, turning over a new leaf, to trying to work at it themselves. But all the while, the law condemns. The law has no power to pardon. It, it can only administer the sentence of guilt. And if you're here tonight and you're not saved, you're not a Christian, and you think that by trying to do good and work at it yourself, you're bankrupt tonight. You haven't a hope of heaven. And the more that you seek to struggle, the deeper the quagmire and the greater the bankruptcy within. Because the law, the more you look into the law, it's like a magnifying glass and the greater you see the indebtedness and the guilt of your own sin. So the first thing to grasp in understanding the gospel is that the law cannot help. You need grace. You need a Savior. You need someone who can do the work for you and who can pronounce you justified, just as if you had never sinned. Now, having dealt with the bankruptcy in this instance, we want now to look at the sufficiency of the supply. And we're back to the pouring of the oil. Now, we're going to look here at verse 7, and we're going to look at the after effects when the oil had now been stayed and the pots were full. And in verse 7, this widow, she came and she told the man of God. Now, what did she tell him? Well, she told him this marvelous story. 
Hey, you told me to fetch all these pots, and I got all the pots I had in my home, got my neighbors, my friends, and my boys. They gathered them all in, and we took the one pot, and we kept pouring, and it just never stopped until we had no more pots to fill, and they're all full. And what did Elisha say to him or her? Go sell the oil and pay thy debt. You see, the debt is not to be worked off. The debt was to be paid by grace, by a divine supply, a miraculous supply. And so the first blessing that came to her life was that she now was free from debt. She could tell those creditors, be gone. I can pay it off now. I have wherewithal to cover and cancel my debts. I'm a free woman. And so the debt, the guilt, was all done by. And that's what a Christian enjoys. We can say tonight that by the blood of Jesus and by faith in the cross, my guilt is settled. I am no longer a debtor to the law. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church. Just a few minutes here on Righteousness Exalteth a Nation. Perhaps the chief thing that is destroying the welfare of Canadians is alcohol. This is the socially acceptable killer in our nation, as in most nations of the world. Here's an interesting but sad report in an article from the Huffington Post. You might not be able to tell from all those beer commercials, but on a global scale, people are actually abstaining from alcohol. Even if the rest of the world isn't downing pints, however, Canadians seem to be drinking on their behalf. A new study by the Centre for Addiction and Mental Health found Canadians drink more than 50% above the global average. And it's no time to be imbibing. Alcohol is now the third leading cause of the global burden of disease and injury. There are few homes or families that are not directly or indirectly impacted by this long-term and deep-seated problem of the bottle. It is the fear of every parent and the slave master of millions who cannot kick the habit of consuming hard liquor. I think that every right-minded and every caring Canadian, whether Christian or not, ought to loathe the curse of alcohol in our land. I have to admit that I have come to hate alcohol, and all the more so the older I become. I thank God for delivering me from this terrible evil. I am reminded when I see a drunk in his stupor of mind and folly that there go I but for the grace of God. I hate the use of alcohol when I learn the statistics for the ER admissions in our hospitals. It is the cause of miseries untold and it's the number one reason for hospital admissions and the acceleration of diseases of the body. It truly is a killer. In most ERs on weekends and nighttime, you can find drunks who have been in fights, had falls, or accidents while driving under the influence. There's a reason that our police forces 
are out on the roads doing checks for people driving under the influence. Even one or two drinks is enough to impair judgment. In any accident investigation, alcohol is the number one suspect. Thousands of deaths take place on our roads each year due to this evil, and often it is the innocent driver or pedestrian who is killed by the drunk driver. It has been calculated that up to 60% of hospital admissions are alcohol-related. Statistics Canada reported in 2016 that 19% of Canadians aged 12 and older, roughly 5.8 million people, reported alcohol consumption that classified them as heavy drinkers. The proportion, the highest proportion of heavy drinking for both sexes was among those aged 18 to 34. In this age group, 34.4% of males and 23.4% of females were heavy drinkers. That according to Statistics Canada. Now, I hate the use of alcohol also when I learn that Noah, through alcohol, fell into immorality. Noah, that man whom God used to save his family from the flood by building an ark, very quickly afterward, he planted a vineyard and, due to drunkenness, was guilty of lewdness, which led to immorality. I want to read to you a few verses here. Genesis 9, verse 18. And he, the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark, were Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Ham is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. And Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment, and laid it upon both their shoulders, and went backward, and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine, and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. This record should be a red flag to all who consider drinking alcohol. If this can happen to the godly man Noah, what might it do to you and me? If the sons of Noah are ashamed and brought under a curse due to the results of alcohol, there is no place for it in my life. These shameful things which are blots on the very best men in the Bible are not washed over in the Bible, but rather they are given as beacons to warn us to cease and desist, to run from this terrible, degenerating evil. I can think of no incident where people as families or societies have been lifted upward through strong drink. It is the devil's tool to destroy. It is never God's way to lead people into blessing. And there I end my little message on righteousness exalteth a nation. Join with me tomorrow as I continue. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived 
by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Mm-hmm.